we are on to episode 2. Vision 2030 is our main focus this season. For the first episode, we looked at Kenya's development plans during the years, the successes and a number of failures and challenges. Towards the end, we had an overview of the pillars. For the next 3 episodes, we are going to look at each pillar, with each pillar being covered by an episode. First up, we begin with a political pillar. This is an acute media original and I am your host Timothy Gatimu. Moi put it as siasambaya maishambaya and it's been reiterated by quite a number of individuals. But have we learned anything going by how politics is played in this country? Wale watu walikuwa uongozini walikuwa ni wazee yani umri wao ulikuwa umezonga. Sisi wenyewe tukachiletea shida kusema atachague sasa viongozi vijana ambao sasa ujana wao umewapeleka mbele yani wanachichali wao wenyewe lakini uongozi wa wazee wazee hawana hawana ile naweza sema ile upinavu sana What I love about this series is learning. As much as I am sharing this information with you, I get to know a number of a few things in the process. Now, when the Uhuruto Pact took charge, it was largely seen as a step into giving the youth a voice, a chance or a seat at the table. Some quarters saw this as a youthful regime, and the sentiments that you have just heard confirm this. But those words are sort of misguided. When engaging Julius in the conversation about the leadership under Jubilee, in comparison to Kibaki's tenure, he said older people aren't as self-centered as the younger generations. First, I will discredit that and also this. Jubilee government was not as youthful as he thought. Mudi Awori, 92, got an appointment. 72-year-old Francis Modaura. I mean, the recycling and reappointment have happened quite a few times. What stuck out in Julius words was the fact that he acknowledged that bad leadership circles back to us who pick our leaders. That fact is not only acknowledged by Julius but by many more Kenyans. I think again is is very clear that uh, we are having a society of representation of people within the uh, the parliament who are basically bent on what I would call a scratch my back a scratch your back. If anything is going to be able to go through that is not benefiting to that particular individual then there's a lot of acrimony that is always seen within the floor of the parliament but when you hear a motion that goes through and everybody is coalescing around that particular uh, particular item it means that there is a catch for them and so we are basically voting voting in the same people complaining and then forgetting and doing the same thing so it's like a cycle and these people have also gotten comfortable it's like uh, in politics in Kenya when when you when you are a leader it's your time to actually benefit yourself until the next bunch comes and they feel like they need to do the same the only challenge is we'll keep bringing in the same people year in year out instead of listening to what these people have to bring we are more interested in what are they giving us how are we benefiting from it in terms of handouts and and such but i'd say that sisi kama my electorates peer the problem the back stops with us but we elect matters a lot for sure our constitution in asema clearly that um, to be elected lazimo kuwe uphold some integrity you are a man of integrity chapter 6 of our constitution um i'm waiting to see when kenyans wata decide to elect to say when you are integrity because seemingly hapa kenya msemzuri wase wa elect wase wekwa tu gangs
Thank you. Thank you. You may now have your seats. I want to first start by thanking you all for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time to be present. I want to talk about the seven social sins. On March 20th, 1925, Frederick Lewis Donaldson, an Anglican priest, gave a sermon in Westminster Abbey, London. He talked of the seven social sins. These were wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, commerce without morality, science without humanity, worship without sacrifice, and politics without principle. Kenyans, do you believe your politician is principled? A look at this country's history in politics, we find an extensive one. A history that has shaped how the political landscape is today. From the glory days of Kanu in Kenyan politics to the introduction of independent candidates. A crucial page in our history book is the transformation of the country from a single-party state to a multi-party state in 1992, when Section 2A of the Constitution was repealed. Fast forward, I can only raise concerns of small opposition parties that work on the sidelines of politics. These parties become irrelevant with time and overall don't have any tangible effect in decision-making. Tip-tip party, Kalembendele. Party of Development and Reforms, Rafael Tuju and Chama Chauzalendo are some of the parties I can point out. Well, um, in as much as the space is open to form any political party, it's up to now the founders of the said political parties to be intentional about pushing for change, to be intentional about calling out mediocrity, calling out corruption, calling out vices that uh, the ruling government might be overlooking. I mean, um, the last five years, we've not really had an opposition party and yes the constitution does not there's no law that actually provides for opposition party as an official it's not an official thing but we always know that number two that is the running up during elections uh the leader of the running up political party becomes the opposition leader so right now we've the last five years we've not had an opposition party and so we've not had a party that is um keeping the ruling party on on its feet on toes holding them accountable and so it was up to now the other political parties, the parties that we are calling small political parties, to play that role. I can't say that they play that role. And so maybe I'm hoping that in 2022, um, or going forward, we'll have the founders of political parties actually pushing for change, whether or not they get to clinch the desired positions. Because again, you see, what happens is that people come up with these political parties during the election years. I mean, there are so many political parties coming up now. I think for now it's too late. And currently where we are, uh, no more political parties are being registered. But a number of political parties have, for example, been formed this year just so that they can act as a conveyor belt for the people with interest in certain positions. So maybe they should be intentional. Whether or not they get their said the desired positions, they should be intentional about pushing for change in one way or another. But most importantly, holding the ruling government so what is your take on the state of politics in this country, especially in the last 10 years? Oh my goodness. We have improved tremendously in terms of democracy. Um, yes, of course, you know, we come from a past, a dark past, whereby people used to vote under the Milolongo system, where we used to have a one-party system. But over time now, uh, we have several political parties. We have the political parties, um, the rights of political rights enshrined as 
part of the Bill of Rights under the Constitution, that is under Article 38 of the Constitution. We have an independent body managing elections, independent from the government, and so the body is so independent that it does not even involve itself in the businesses of the political parties. We have several candidates vying for several positions. We even have the position of the MCA, that is, by uh, because of under the 2010 constitution, devolution was introduced to bring governance closer to the people. And so anybody and everybody can buy for MCA. I'm sure you've been seeing. At, at some point, there was a, a meme that was trending about MCA startup because anybody and everybody can buy for MCA. Even I can buy for MCA. So the political state of the country has improved tremendously because we have several options. Um, you can either buy or you know you have several options of candidates. And um, even the political space in terms of speech, freedom of speech, it is guaranteed, it is protected. Um, I'm happy with where we are so far, so good politically as a country. We have always had steps made forward or the intent to make positive strides. I believe that the fact that we now had a refined idea or guideline that governed our politicians was great. Not only does this joy apply to me, but to all Kenyans. I am wondering, what was the use though? Seems like we come up with laws not to govern us, but to break them. The vision was launched in June 2008, a few months after the post-election violence. Whether a knee-jerk reaction or not, a guide to how our democratic systems, which should reflect the aspirations and expectations of Kenyans, was here. Is it being followed? As a Kenyan, do you believe that your political system is issue-based, people-centered, result-oriented, and accountable to the public? The political pillar has eight guiding principles. These governance principles are to be adhered to so as to reach the vision set. They build on this pillar. Now, for these pillars, my producer had a chat with Elsie where she gave her opinions on some of the principles. This will be paired up with sentiments from my other respondents. The first principle is constitutional supremacy. We've had instances where the supremacy of the constitution was not respected. Note that the different regimes that we've had are culpable. I believe this first principle ties with the second one, which is the sovereignty of the people. As a leader for you to acknowledge and practice constitutional supremacy, you have to value the sovereignty of the people. And supremacy of the constitution. So ideally, what do they mean immediately when I say sovereignty? You know, sometimes they use complex words and I mean, I need someone from, <laughs> I need someone from the hood to understand when they say sovereignty of the people. Sovereignty. Yes. So when you talk about sovereignty, we're talking about power. The people have the power. Absolute power. Sovereignty denotes absolute power. Mm -hmm. So when we say sovereignty rests to the people of Kenya, we are talking about absolute power mm -hmm. is vested in the people of Kenya. How do you feel like at some point? Well, I think the biggest thing then people would ask is... Equality of citizens is the third principle. Women and men to be treated equally. No discrimination based on religion, tribe, race, or basis of gender. The fourth principle, national values, goals, and ideology, push for an affirmation of the religious, cultural, and ethnic diversity of Kenyans. The fifth principle advocates for a Kenya with a strong and viable political party system that will be guided by policy and ideological differences 
rather than region or ethnicity. With this, parties being formed based on religion, linguistic, racial, ethnic, gender, corporate, or regional basis is prohibited. But looking at the political parties, do you see them applying this? Because I don't. Look at the demigods, tribal lords that have a huge following that is not based on policies that they present. The main question here is what do Kenyans feel about this? And are we getting out of this cycle soon? By a long shot, no. Because even as, as you look, when we're doing an analysis of even not leave, leave alone the, the, the community aspect, when you look at the nation, it is very clear that you will see the presidential aspirants, even right now, they are looking at how much what am I going to be able to collect for my community. And for some of them, they are forgotten about even the communities where they come from, because for them, that is an automatic basket that comes their way, just on the premise that he is either Kalejin or is a Lu, is a Kikuyu, is a Kamba. And you see, they should be struggling even to be able to collect the votes from their original background. That will tell you that we have divorced ourselves from the ethnicity and the people that we are getting into the office. And so that is the notion that we are always hearing about. Our community is being targeted. Our people are being fought. Nobody is fighting them. We are fighting that particular person because of maybe something that he has done. But now, by extension, to be able to get the sympathy, he runs back to his community. So it is it's not happening soon. If it happens, I think we will be celebrating, maybe in the Vision 2030. We are not yet ready to let go of the fact that we come from certain areas. That's unfortunate, but that's how it is. That, uh, you know, we're not yet ready to move on and, uh, and state that we are all Kenyans, it matters not whether we come from the same area, whether we use the same road as we go to <laughs> a country. No, it's still a factor that is still being considered politically. Yeah, um, I don't see it happening soon. It's still there. So the sixth principle is public participation. How involved are you in matters that affect you as a Kenyan, especially governance? Are we making progress in this principle geared towards achieving Vision 2030? Personally, this process that is supposed to inform, involve, or collaborate is far from being fully achieved, despite having a number of provisions in the Constitution. Public participation, that is one of the gains of the 2010 Constitution. Under Article 10, it's a national value and principle of governance, and it cuts across... Um, you know, lawmaking that is under the legislature, under the executive, all arms of government must have space for public participation. So and it's again under the 2010 constitution, and we've seen a number of laws being nullified on the ground that the public did not get to participate. So public participation is still a factor. Yeah. How do we get Kenyans to participate? There are various ways in which Kenyans can uh, participate in major decisions, major policies that affect them. That is, either they submit memoranda, they can petition parliament to consider an issue, to debate on an issue. They can also attend public gatherings. And actually, these arms of government are under a positive, they have a positive obligation. They owe it to us to provide facilities for us to give them our views, whether it is through the internet, whether it is through the radio. Um, a number of laws, especially tax laws, county tax laws, have been nullified on the ground that there was no venue that, no avenue that was provided for public participation. And in some decisions, the courts have held that you know it, it should have even gone to the extent of advertising the same, 
uh, or the vernacular radio stations that are commonly li- that, that are commonly that are common within the the county the, the, the specific counties the vernacular radio stations so public participation can take any form it could take you know the, the media uh, they could use the media they could submit memoranda they could um, public gatherings could be organized by the county governments by the national government whichever arm whichever body even if it's a ministry and uh, people should be invited to give their views and we also have the internet in this day and age of social media especially with the youth we can always participate in one way or another through social media and I've seen a number of invitations, even the Office of the Attorney General, inviting views from the public regarding certain issues. 2021, the Parliament invited Kenyans for public participation and submissions of a memorandum on the Constitution of Kenya Amendment Bill 2020. A public hearing was to be held. We can point a finger towards the leadership for not providing a more inclusive nationwide process. But it is also necessary to point a finger towards Kenyans who should be showing more intent in participation. I've never participated in one and that has always been my like I've always questioned myself uh, where does this public participation lead people I've never known is it my lack of responsibility to be able to seek out and find where is this public participation taking place so that I can be able to be part of it but also having said that I think uh, it is evident uh, from the outcome of what you have just mentioned in terms of even the BBI and, and, and these other uh, things that we have called for public participation, that it is never actually very, very uh, outrightly clear that this is actually what the people say with regard to what we are presenting. It is evident even from the BBI document that there were some things that were wanting. And therefore, for the public participation, it should be kind of representation what are the people from this particular region saying about this? These people from this region, this is what they're saying. And therefore, together, what would be the ideal situation that we would want to see our people have as a representation of what they are uh, sharing? I think public participation is just a means to an end uh, where um, the government shows you that they, you are hard. But as to whether what you raised is going to be actualized is a different case altogether. So they bring you close, but not close enough to... Uh, you, they bring you close to voice your opinions, but not close enough to action those particular opinions. It's just like a process. It's, it's a formality. Before we look at the two last principal points, let me throw a wrench in the works. Actually, it's more of giving you something to think about. I was recently listening to a podcast on Acute called Yahweh's Hard Talk, hosted by Robert Yahweh. His voice has been featured in episode 1 of this series as well. This was episode 14 titled Politics Abhors Technology. He talked of public participation in regard to his word and from a techie's perspective. Vote. We all carry a device in our pockets. We need to run small tests of using the phone as a unique identifier in the political space. Twice a year, every ward has to run a public participation activity. This activity is used to verify or to vote on what projects should be done in the next financial year. Because these activities happen on a weekday and there's no public holiday issued for that, 
99% of people in a ward would never be able to participate. Now, if we are able to do this digitally, then it means that everyone within that ward should be able to participate in the decisions on what project should be given priority. Then maybe 20 years down the road, we can have faith in the system and say we can vote for everything that passes through parliament. And therefore, we don't really need the level of participatory representative democracy that we run, where we still send politicians and they don't represent our interests, we should be able to vote on their behalf. And all theirs will be is to press the button based on what we have decided. All this is possible, but we will not do it unless there is goodwill from us in the technology space, as I do not expect it from the politicians. Lastly, Here's Professor Wainaina's take on public participation, more so a take on what other parties like the Fourth Estate can do. Even working with the government spokespeople, uh, government is, uh, I was in it, government is very poor in communication. Very poor. Uh, and I think the, uh, even you see the, the, how we have gone from the NAC, having government spokespersons, that is to appreciate that getting the information there is important and telling the people benefits in it. So I think this is where the, uh, the, the opportunity from the pub for the state comes in, mm -hmm. in, in, in support of the government. And it's good, uh, the crit critique you provide to government, but also seeing in a criticism which bring progress. Uh, so my view is uh, government perhaps we need to speed up, uh, have a better uptake, and they can do that by working partners with the private, uh, with the with the fourth estate, mm -hmm. and we have strong uh, media, you know, telephone, uh, tele, uh, tele, uh, TV, very very strong. Uh, we used to have Kenya news agency. I don't happen to it, mm -hmm. but it was doing ampaka machinani. Mm -hmm. Look at the last kilometer in terms of uh, in terms of power, you know, the Mpesa. Up to the last village in this country. Yeah. Uh, you, you, and, and these things you write, uh, we need to, to package it. And, and, and I think it's something I would, uh, if I was there, I would be actually going to either Bogoma or uh, Kirifi and say, we tax you this much. Pay is 30%. This money you have given us as government, this is what it has done. Mm. Now, in, your, in Bogoma, you go to the market, it used to take five hours, it's taking you one hour. That's it. Mm -hmm. And they can see the benefits in it. Yeah. So that's, uh, I was in Kisumu last week and you go to the airport, you look at the runway, you see progress. I don't know whether you've been there before. The old one was Ramshako out there. Mm. And even the conference they're holding in May of African cities, that's business in there. So I think this, we, we are putting it even at the county level, even at the, the national level. And I think it's an opportunity for us in the as is that we are doing now yeah. to get that information out there. Yeah. The second last principle is the separation of power, where realizing the goals of Vision 2030 will depend on the enhancement of the capacity of the legislature, executive, and the judiciary. These three factions have locked horns for a couple of times. Judiciary accusing interference of its independence by the executive and the executive accusing the judiciary of sabotaging government programs via biased court judgment. 
that ought not to happen again. The arms are supposed to be equal. They're supposed to work together in harmony. Actually, uh, one of the gains, other than public participation of the Judiciary Constitution, is a clear separation of powers and also protection of the judiciary, ensuring that the judiciary is independent. That's why we now have... Um, we are in a regime whereby the president cannot just wake up and fire, hire or fire a certain judge. Their tenure is protected, strictly protected, under the Article 160 of the Constitution, that is on the independence of the judiciary. So on separation of powers, yes, we have a system of separation of powers. Our Constitution also employs a system of checks and balances, that is the arm of government, have to work together in harmony, checking and balancing each other. And so um, that is why a number of decisions of the executive are sometimes declared unconstitutional by the judiciary. Yeah. The final point is decentralization, a point that I feel is more relevant in the economic pillar where rapid development is geared towards all citizens. Not dismissing its importance in political development as we need a community-level approach towards leadership for the person at the local level to feel represented. The strategies put in place to get the vision achieved are centered around transparent and accountable government institutions and information, provision of security to all people, institutionalizing genuinely competitive and issue-based politics, having a people-centered and politically engaged open society, and finally, adherence to the rule of law. A general look these eight principles and strategies put in place to achieve Vision 2030 points towards achievable goals. Are we doing enough? Allow me to follow this with a more jarring question. Are some goals here neglected at times? Looks good on paper, but let us use principle five, which calls for a viable political party system in Kenya. Parties that are guided by policy and ideological differences. But a majority of them are just political vehicles that lose relevance and meaning once individuals are in power. Even prior to crossing the election line, these parties are normally faced with a lack of proper internal democracy. They're always quick to mobilize political support along tribal and regional lines, with some perfecting the art of being a third party that is open to the highest bidder to sway win to their side, and having less and sometimes no meaningful activity between the elections. Lastly, in this summary, I believe a moment to vent regarding the implementation of the political pillar shouldn't miss a feature of how equality of citizens is overlooked. Some Kenyans seem to be more Kenyan than others. Here is a tale that I found relatable. A tale about cues and following protocols and orders. Some chose to follow while others who are more Kenyan do not follow. I have witnessed and experienced it, and I am certain that some of you listening have experienced it in one way or another. Personally, I was there. I came at around 8, and I found two or three people before me. And we sat on the queue. And when he came, it was very interesting. He apologized. Which does not happen. He started off by apologizing because he came out around nine. And he said, guys, I'm very sorry. I've kept you here for quite some time. But I want you to understand that I was at this uh, Makopa police station. There was something that required me to be able to attend to. Leave alone that. After he had finished that, it, it was very clear. He said, I'm going to be able to see everybody depending on the time that you came. And we were sitting on the queue, depending on how you came. And he said, I don't care who you are. You have to be able to uh, be very, very honorable to the people that came before you. They came early, I will serve them. And he gave people an equal amount of time. And I was, it was very impressive. 
nobody walked in and say oh, you know me i'm so and so i want to see this uh, mr maro it was like very clear with less than 8 years to 2030 we have some serious work to put in the popular anecdote of the chicken thief versus a billionaire thief not seemingly being judged in the same dock or in different courts entirely the first medium term plan saw the promulgation of the new constitution of kenya a number of other progress have been made including changes in electoral processes and judicial transformation the rubber meets the road with the flagship projects for 2012 some of the flagship projects were the constitutional initiative judicial and legal reforms initiatives and security and policing reform initiatives in terms of political progress in our country at times we tend to clip the wings ourselves from the people in power to the subjects issues like low implementation capacity where policies presented are ignored and at times bent look at the ruling class ignoring the rule of law covid restrictions are set politicians continue with political gathering and our public transport guys are like hey see what they are doing jaza matatu this weakness in us upholding values will always have a trickle effect and vice versa it is a pendulum a citizen cannot live according to the constitution and yet expects the mp governor senator the mca or the president to do so another issue affecting this pillar is poor relations within and outside the key highlight is the brawl and chaos by mps with one going down towards the end of 2021 outside the bad blood between executive and judiciary during my time of research the producer and i noticed that most kenyans perceived the visions as only geared towards only economic growth when asked they only thought of improvement in infrastructure agriculture education and not how the political landscape is shaped in terms of being issue based people centered result oriented and accountable to the public in this episode professor wainaina gituro's voice has not been as prominent as it was in our premiere he most definitely had a number of things to say about our political systems in relation to vision 2030 here is a summary that includes integrity approach to leadership and most importantly the biggest win in this pillar the 2010 constitution first he starts with what the theme was under the political pillar theme was here in uh, transparency in governance and one of the key flagship i might point here was the constitution it was actually a, a main uh, flagship under the political pillar and i'm happy to report it was achieved by 2010 we got the constitution different from the one we had 2060 and 1963 because it was kenyans who have come with their own churning the way forward here is his view on leadership and how leadership affects the vision but uh, the, 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 the kibaki was very clear i'm not saying the current one not clear but there's some vigor which you have that commitment as a country we are moving it has to be there and uh, we have also seen tremendous improvement kama kama the, the 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 president retired now of uh, botswana he had a very interesting approach he would go to the rural areas on a wednesday and he would tell his security if you want to go back to kaboron you can go back mm-hmm. but i'm here up to sunday with the, with with the, the people. people yeah the the the, the wazes the elders and they were actually lay their development in that country mm-hmm. that's the thing you you know the political elite as we call ourselves just get back there go to masabit spend a week 
three days, see what happens there. As a governor, as a, a CS. And then be with them. And they will see that we also have an interest in terms of the development terms of the it was actually say we were charging something like irrigation. Those are areas perhaps they'll be spending most of money. In a nutshell, following Botswana's retired president's example, leaders ought to approach dispensing their duties in an enthusiastic way. We've had a few leaders exhibit this characteristic. Mr. Magoha is an example. Uh, of a hands-on. Uh, Magoha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Magoha, one day you find he's in Kware. Mm-hmm. The next day he's in Siaya. You know? Yeah. As these clams are going on. And had the opportunity to... He was uh, the vice chancellor at Nairobi, where I still am. I think that man made a lot of savings. Even the cupboard, the cupboard of the parking. And I thought, who is this man? Smart, seated here, and he's seeing how the cupboard is. So I talked and he told me, I'm the DVC academic, uh, administration finance. He would actually take a vehicle, go to the industrial area, and they'll buy paint with these guys. And he would bargain. So you doesn't give Kevin here, go and buy. Because Kevin will go to his brother. Instead of 10 shilling, it is 30 shilling. George would go hands-on. I can tell you the kind of the classrooms which are coming. If somebody did an audit, you see the savings which are there. We need that. Look at the, all the CSs. How many are out there? Despite being more over the country, he's still an Ajifunga Thai Kapsa. But he's on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Those are quite the things we are looking at hands-on. People who actually understand what is on the ground. And the, the beauty of that, you get value for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't give a better example than how I found him at the To me, an overall view of this pillar points to a weak one. We are months away from the election, and more cracks are continuing to emerge, as is normally during elections. Is it the weakest among the three? Cannot say at the moment. Stick around as we cover the other two pillars in the next episodes, and maybe you can make the judgment yourself. <laughs>